0: So I grew up in the low country of South Carolina, and it's called the low country because it's lowlands and it has an inordinate amount of marshlands there. And so my friends and I, we would always go exploring around in the marsh. And if you spend any time in the marsh, you know that there's this point where you're walking through the marsh grass and it's normal kind of marsh uh, mud. And then you reach a certain point as you get closer to the water that it turns into pluff mud. And there's a certain point where you just step down. And before you know it, your knee is up to here in pluff Mud. And the terrible thing about pluff Mud is that when you go to say, okay, let me pull myself out and you put your other leg in and you pull up, then both legs are stuck and you start struggling. And it feels like the more that you struggle with it, the deeper you get into it. Oftentimes in our lives, at every point in our life of faith, there are times that we get stuck. There's something I would guess in your life right now where you are stuck and you're trying to place your faith in Christ and you're struggling to walk with him, but you feel stuck. It could be in your marriage. You know, you and your spouse have had this disagreement and you keep coming around on things and you never seem to resolve that issue and you feel stuck. Or it could be in some aspect of life in your, your extended family or personal relationships that you're like, oh, this is stuck. God, where are you? Where are you working? Or there's some sin in your life that just keeps besetting you over and over again and you feel like, I keep fighting and I keep losing. God, are you even still helping me anymore? And then there's just the circumstances of life that happen where we start to lose sight of God. We can't see him in our midst. See, the challenge with these stuck times is that we begin to lose sight of God and we begin to get lost in terms of what way do you want me to walk in. And so today, I want to talk about what hope we can have in the midst of that struggle of trying to place our faith in Christ. So far in the sermon series, we've been looking at hope, living at hope, and The hope that we've been talking about mainly the first couple weeks is a distant hope of what's gonna happen at the end of time when Jesus comes back and the vision that he sets for us and how that gives us hope in the present day. But today, in our Isaiah passage, which is gonna be our preaching text, um, so Mike, I asked Mike, I leaned over and said, well, they said I have to preach on Matthew, do I have to? And he's like, yeah, you have to preach on Matthew. So fortunately, no, he was just kidding. So today we're gonna be looking (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm shoot. Um, So today we're going to be looking at Isaiah. And this text seems to say that we can embrace the struggle of faith. That in the struggle itself, we can learn and we can grow. And so we can find hope in the struggle itself. So I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah 35. 595 in the Pew Bible. Now I want to paint a little bit of the picture of Isaiah 35 and what's going on in the life of Israel. So Israel has been disobedient to God and judgment is at their doorstep. Literally in, in chapter 36 we see that the armies of Assyria, a huge number, 165,000 people have, are literally at the gates of Jerusalem. And they are faced with a choice. Are we gonna to turn to God? Are we gonna to choose to place our faith in him for deliverance, or are we gonna to choose to place our faith elsewhere? And I'm gonna give you a little bit of context before we jump into 35. So in 36, it tells us that the armies there, all of the men of Jerusalem are on the gates. They're on, all on the walls. And the general comes out, his name is Rab And you'll learn that Rabshakeh is a rascal, so that can stick in your brain. Rabshakeh comes out, and he starts speaking their language, and he says this. Thus says the king of Assyria, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. He says, Hezekiah, the king of Israel, not going to be able to deliver you. Then he goes on, he says, And do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. Basically, he says, hey look, your king can't deliver you and your God can't deliver you. In these moments when we're stuck, we hear the same voice, don't we? You start to feel like, can God really deliver me? Is he really working here? And then he adds injury to insult, Rabshakeh goes on and says do not listen to Hezekiah for thus says the king of Assyria this is what the king says this is the message he sent make your peace with me and come out to me basically surrender open the gates and come out surrender then each of you will eat of his own vine and each one will eat of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern basically saying i'm going to let you hang out here in your land and you can eat of your you can drink of your vine and eat of your fig tree and then he goes on and says until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. He basically says, hey, and then I'm going to take you away to my land and I'll provide for you there. Now the subtext at the bottom of his little letter is, but you're going to be my slaves. You're going to be second class citizens if you come back with me. And this voice is the same voice we oftentimes hear When we're stuck in the struggle to place our faith in God, first off, can God really deliver me? I don't really see him. And then secondly, we start to think of an easy way out, some other way to provide for our needs, some other way to get the help that we need, some shortcut, some way out. And so Israel here is faced with a choice. It says they were silent and answered him not a word. And they sent the word to Hezekiah. So they're faced with a choice. And here is the choice. And this is really the struggle of faith. It's faith is the struggle to choose to look to God as our source of deliverance, of redemption. That he can redeem our circumstances and he alone can. So what does God have to say? Shek has spoken a lot. So what does God speak into their circumstance? And here's, now we're going back to Isaiah 35. So this is the prophecy that they get going into their suffering. So I want you to look at verse three. In chapter 35, it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees and say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. So what we see is that God knows where they're at. God knows that they are are in a place of weakness, a place of anxiety. So where's the hope in that? Well, the hope is if you look at the whole scriptures, and we read it today, Danny read it today in the Psalms, that God is the God of the weak. God is the God of the needy, isn't he? I mean, think about St. Paul. St. Paul is stuck. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians 12. He's stuck and he has this thorn in the flesh and he keeps begging God, remove this thorn from me. I'm stuck. Remove this thorn from me. And what does God say to him? You remember? He says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so God is the God of the weak and somehow or another, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Now, some of you guys, like me, struggle with praying just in your head. And so I have to write my prayers down in order to stay focused. So this is basically my prayers from the last couple years of my life. All right in here. And what I find when I look at this is that when I'm struggling the most, there's this strange phenomenon. When I'm struggling with something, when I'm stuck in something, I end up praying more. That there's this flourishing of prayer when I'm in the midst of the struggle. And so oftentimes we do, we see this passage come to fruition in our lives that when we struggle, when we feel weak, God's power is made perfect in us. So God knows that we're in a place of weakness. So, what do we do in that place of weakness? Well, the passage continues on. It says, say to those, verse four, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold your God. He will come and save you. And that word behold, not very, we don't often say, hey, look, behold. But what does behold mean? Behold means to look, to gaze upon, to fix your eyes on. And so God says, in the midst of your weakness, look to me, look to me look, gaze upon me, fix your eyes on me. And again, remember I said faith is the struggle to choose to look to God as our source of deliverance, to say all those alternative plans, all those alternative saviors, God, I'm going to look to you. And he says, look, and that's exactly what we see Israel do. In the very next chapter in 37, Hezekiah received the letter, he, got, he gets the report of what Rabshakeh said, and he reads it, and where does he go? He goes up to the house of the Lord and spreads it before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. So he brought that place of weakness, that place of what are we gonna do, and he said, I'm gonna look to you and you alone, God. He spread it out before it, and I love that language. And so what I wanna encourage you to do this week in that place that you're stuck, I want for you to spread it out before the Lord and say, God, give me strength to see you. Give me strength to see what you're up to. And maybe some of you have been like, well, I've been doing that, I've been asking for strength, I've been praying. Well, what I wanna encourage you, I I wanna ask you to take one more step and I want you to find a friend that you can trust. And I want for you to ask them to join you in praying that God will give you strength to see what he's up to. And so reach out to someone if you're feeling alone. And if you're like, I don't have anybody. Well, you can fill out on the back of the connection card, there's a place that you can write down your prayers. We'll pray for you this week. So this week, lay it out before God. Then there's an interplay here. So it says, God says, I want you to do that. I want you to look to me. And then in in verse five, God shows up. He says, then. It's almost like, if you reach out to me, then. It says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then it goes on to say, the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so God says, I am going to show up. I am going to meet your weakness and encounter your weakness with my power. And there's two different images that we get here, two different motifs, if you want to say one is the idea of eyes being open and ears being unplugged, which is that when we call out to God, there's times where our eyes get open and we see where he's working. Our ears get unplugged and all of a sudden, we hear him speak something to us. And that's the comfort or the strength that we need to press on. And so sometimes there's immediate relief. But the other image here is the idea of waters breaking forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And that's been my experience when I call out to God. That it's not this immediate response often. It's this slow trickle. And I don't even notice it at the time. But as weeks and months pass, I realize God's giving me strength. He's, he's giving me enough to live on. And there's a stream that's born out of the desert. And so this week, God promises that he will meet us in our weakness. That He will encounter us with his strength. And so then the question becomes, is that all that he promises? Just to give us strength, where are we supposed to go? Well in verse eight he says, and a highway shall be there. He says, I'm gonna give you strength and I'm also gonna give you a way. And as I look back at at these prayers and these struggles that are chronicled here, there is a theme that runs through them that God always gives me a way forward. Right? God always seems to find a way to give us a way to go. Now, what is that way? Well, it says in verse eight, it shall be called the way of ease. It shall be called the way of relaxation. Was that what it says? No, no, it says it shall be called the way of holiness. It's like, no, not that way, any way but that, Lord. So what is the way of holiness? The way of holiness is the process, the slow, painful process of becoming more like Christ and putting away my selfish desires and serving him and serving other people. And the reality is that the way of holiness is not the easy way. When God says, I'm gonna give you the way, it's not the easy button that you can push it and all your problems go away. He says, I'm gonna give you the way of holiness and the way of holiness is always the hard way. And that seems like, oh, it's so discouraging. But actually it's not. It's actually really encouraging because it matches up with our life experience, doesn't it? You feel like your faith is a struggle. Do you feel like you're trying your best you can, you're trying, you're going for it, but you just, it's a struggle. You're stuck and you're trying to move. Well, guess what? Be encouraged. Because that's what the way of holiness is all about. It's about the struggle to look to God. It's about the struggle to find his strength, to choose his ways. Paul, who knew the struggle of faith really well, put it this way. He said, fight the good fight. That's the image that he gives of the life of faith. It's not kind of some just breezy walking through the meadows. No, it's that of a fighter in the ring in the 10th round, continuing to put up, the fight, continuing to get knocked down and get back up. That is what the struggle of faith is about. So today, this Advent season, if you feel beat down, if you feel like you're struggling and you feel discouraged, no, you are on the way to holiness. That's what he's called you to. Now, uh, there's a little bit of humor here, which I find encouraging as I think about this way of holiness and the way that I walk this way of holiness. Is first off it says, that there, there should be a highway there. So the way of holiness isn't some little teeny path that you're walking across, and if you slip and fall, then you, you know, slide off the side of the mountains. And no, it's a four-lane highway. It's big and wide, and if you stumble off the way, you'll be able to find it again. That's the way of holiness. And then here's the Hebrew humor. It says, and even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. <laughs> like, there's, there's And that's the thing. There is a way for even fools like us to walk along that way of holiness. And so where is that way leading? Where is it leading? Where is it going? Where is the end of the highway? And we get that beautiful picture, one of the most hopeful pictures in all of Scripture. Because as we walk this way of struggle. As we sing this struggling song, this is where we see that that song is leading to. It says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. It says, The song of struggle will turn into the song of joy. Listen. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And so, this Advent season, as you struggle, wherever you feel stuck, I want to encourage you to do those two simple things we talked about. First off, look to God and say, God, give me strength to see you. Lay it out before him. Then secondly, say, God, show me the way to follow you. Give me strength to see you and show me the way to follow you. Now you might be thinking, that's too simple. Well, what i found in my life is that the simple steps of faith oftentimes lead to profound encounters or strength that wells up within me. So take those steps, cry out to him and ask him for a way to walk. Uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, I was sitting down in a coffee shop with this Anglican leader and he was uh, putting together a, a fellowship program. It was basically like an internship, and it involved doing some ministry as well as doing some spiritual disciplines together. And honestly, at that point in my faith, I was pretty worn out. I had been struggling, I had been seeking to be faithful, but I was just beat up. I was struggling to find God, I was struggling to find my way, and I felt like I was kind of stumbling along. And I told him, look, I'm open to doing your internship. I'm, you know, if, but you need to know before you invite me into this thing, I am struggling. I feel like a guy who's limping and I've got a crutch in one hand for this bad leg and then the other hand, other leg's pretty bad as well. And I remember what he said to me and it made me wanna say, I wanna follow this leader. He said to me, Dan, I would rather have a man who's fought the good fight, who's fighting the fight of the faith, with one bad leg, than some man who, with two strong legs, but he's never really fought the fight. He's never really had challenges in his life. And I was like, all right, I can sign up for that. And so this Advent season, I wanna encourage you to embrace the struggle. There is hope in the struggle itself. Struggle on, my friends. Because God promises that he will give us eyes to see him. And he will give us a way to follow him. And that way will lead to ultimate redemption and everlasting joy. So struggle on. Let's pray. I'm gonna pray for you. Lord, you know You know the struggles that we're facing right now, the places that we feel stuck. And we ask that you would come, walk beside us. Lord, give us eyes to see you. Lord, give us a way to walk in. Lord, let streams run out of the wilderness of our hearts. Lord, and carry us home to that place where we will rejoice with everlasting joy. We pray all this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.